Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. Wow. So this is what it's like to be up here in the front of the episode. I'm so glad that John has no idea I snuck up in here. Just listen to those drums. Ooh, I wonder what happens if I press this button. Hey guys, and welcome to Talk Murder to Me. Tonight, 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 we have a very special episode, an exclusive interview. Now, to give you a little backstory, about a month ago, I got an email from this production company, this lady named Fancy, F-A-N-C-Y, Maselli. Her and her team are creating this docu-series about the whole Gypsy Rose case, and they actually... Worked with Gypsy, they've had contact with her, and not only that, in this interview tonight, you'll hear one of the childhood friends of the of the victim, uh, Gypsy's mother, if you guys remember. One of her childhood friends is coming on the episode tonight. She's going to be talking about the personalities that she saw, stuff like that. Things aren't what it seems, and in fact, that's what the detective said. I don't, I don't know if you guys remember the episode that I did. But I sure as hell remember it. It's one of our most popular, by the way. But when I started researching it, the detective that was doing the press conference said, there's one thing to remember in this case is things don't always seem as they are. And that sums up this case perfectly. This case is extremely popular. If you guys watch the act on Hulu, and we'll be talking about that because they got a lot of things wrong because they rushed it. You know, when I did my episode, I pulled all the research I could, and a lot of the research was from interviews with Gypsy. But tonight we have – we're interviewing the actual team that has been diving in this case for two years They have all the medical records on their staff. They have former friends of the family. They have nurses, doctors, everything. There's a, this is a big production here. And one of the things I absolutely love about this team is their dedication. They've been doing this for two years. They're not just trying to make another series about Gypsy. No, they're actually trying to find the root causes of why this happened. They're trying to figure out more about Munchausen by proxy syndrome and how to prevent this from happening again. Now, there were a lot of victims in this case, if you remember. Gypsy's mother was scamming charities and for a lot of money, actually. So that money could have been used to help other people. So there's a lot of victims here. So this team is working with these charities. They're working with the doctors who are experts in Munchausen syndrome. They're trying to figure out the best approach to prevent something like this from happening again. So let's get to it right now. This is the interview with the BiProxy team. Thanks so much for getting in touch with us. Can you hear me okay? We sure can. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you, uh, why don't we start so that by, uh, we can tell our, our audience a little bit about you guys and some of the information that um, that you guys have and how you came across us. Okay. So 
I am Sam Pimaselli. I'm the co-executive producer and co-writer on the series. I basically came to the series after Mommy Dead and Dearest came out. I approached the family, um, Gypsy family, the Blanchards, uh, for Stepmom specifically. Uh, one of our partners in the company and I went down there and we spent some time with them. We had to wait for six months though, uh, because she was under, they were under contract with HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. So we waited, and I kind of just formed this relationship with Christy. And then basically I went down and spent a week, week and a half maybe, down there. I met the Petrie family, which is Edie's family. Um, I spoke with a bunch of their friends, and then I spoke with Christy and her family. Um, we did a deep dive into all the stuff that they had, you know, uh, medical files and everything. Um, and I came home with all of that. Like I have just tons and tons of notebooks of all this stuff laying around my house and in my computer that's packed full now and tells me that I have no storage left. So, <laughs> um, you know, and it's like thousands of documents. Uh, and we, we've formed a relationship with them for two years. We've been working with the family. Um, we recently have split from the family. It's amicable. It's uh, just that at this time we feel that to really present a fully truthful, you know, very unbiased uh show, which is what we've always promised, that we needed to, you know, kind of distance ourselves just from being so entangled with the family, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, and it's amicable, we're happy, they're happy, they provided us with a lot of information, and we couldn't be, you know, more pleased with what they have, their contributions, but we wanted to make sure that when we did this, unlike some of the other things that are out there, it was very comprehensive as far as how much truth we were going to look at it from all sides. We really wanted to take a humanistic approach to it um, because every single person in this is human, even Dee, you know, and we wanted to make sure that all of that was represented fairly. Um, And so, you know, the, the family is stepping back and we are moving forward from here. And then I will let Titania, who is the head of our um, medical research department, and she has her own special relationship to all of this, explain who she is. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name is Titania. I have been a nurse for 28 years. But the most important part is that I was actually best friends with Didi right out of high school going into college. We knew each other in junior high and high school. We weren't very close then. We got to be very close, good best friends once we got out of high school. Kind of just give you a rundown and kind of give you some of the story. Our friendship, our relationship, when we were together, Three of us that we were all together, that was Suzette, which she's also on. Um, she's actually my, like, right hand on the team as well. She helps me do a lot of things on the team. Suzette and I were really, like, best friends with Dee Dee. You know, we were together in our early 20s, uh, late teens. We were the three musketeers. Wherever you saw one, you saw the other. We really had some good times, but there were really some really, really bad times. Dee Dee was very manipulative. When things didn't go her way, she was going to get back at you, or she was going to really be the type of person that if it didn't go her way, she was going to get back at you. 
That's funny that she mentioned that because do you remember in the episode that we did, her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard's mother, was really manipulative too, and she would do all those check fraud schemes. Do you oh, remember I talked yeah, to you about yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. So it's like I don't know a nature versus nurture thing, but if Dee Dee grew up seeing her mom scam people, maybe sure. that brought you know helped mold her. Yeah. Because yeah, she is obviously Dee Dee Blanchard is extremely manipulative. I mean. She was scamming all these charities. Yeah. And I think, wasn't it like Ben Affleck too, like donated? Um, they, it was like one of those big guys. They talked about, there was like some country yeah. singer. Um, some big name country singer. Yeah. But that was really interesting that she said that. The thing that, you know, broke our friendship up was that, you know, one day we, we would, we'd bar hop, you know, every day. I mean, we were in our late teens. It was legal. We were 18. Drinking mm-hmm. age was 18 here in Louisiana. We bought hops in Louisiana. The bars were open every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we were out every night. You know, one in particular, if we liked the guy, she went after him. So we just really, I had enough of it. And I was just like, I'm, I was done with her. You know, if I look nice in something and her telling me, oh, you don't look good in that, you don't need to wear that you know, kind of stuff, and I was just done. I was like, I'm, I don't want to be friends with you no more. I'm, I'm tired of you, you know. And her mom, Miss Emma, turned around and called my mom and told my mom that I had a drinking and a drug problem oh. and that I needed to go to rehab. So it's interesting that Dee Dee is our, she, like, she didn't necessarily even really do anything to her, and yet she's trying to ruin Tanya's life mm-hmm. by saying that she's on drugs and alcohol to her mom, like to her mom, just because she tried to cut ties with her. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I did see her several times after she had Gypsy. Mm. I did okay. find it odd. I, I found it odd that her child was always sick. But, you know, I mean, I was just doing my own thing. I never really got close to her again. When everything happened with the whole murder and everything, uh, I, I remember the day quite well. You know, Suzette called me and she's telling me, hey, guess what? You know, I just saw on Gypsy and Dee's Facebook page, the bitch is dead. Yeah. And I don't even know. Can I say, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we curse a lot. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. I'm like, she calls me and she's like, oh, my God. On her Facebook says, it says the bitch is dead. You know, somebody's just hacked their page. And then I go in the computer and then that's when I saw the second post. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, my God. Something happened to her. And then when you start reading everybody's post about gypsies missing, you know, and then you, you started seeing they found her body. You turn on the TV and all you saw, you know, I know we had some horrible times, but all of these things just came back and a whole lot of things started making a whole lot of sense Mm. and started thinking, what did she do? You know, what did she do? And then when they found Gypsy, 
it really didn't surprise me. You know, it really didn't surprise me because I couldn't pinpoint that she had she was doing anything. I knew the type of person she was, and it really didn't surprise me at the time. But hmm. when I came to to meet Fancy, because Fancy interviewed us, both Suzette and I, to let, you know, she knew that we knew Dee Dee, we interviewed, and and I spoke to Christy about, you know, can I just look at the medical records? I really just, for my own peace of mind, I want to know how, how was Dee Dee able to manipulate these doctors? That's all I wanted to know. Right. How was she able to manipulate these doctors? And boy, did she. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I spent a year going through that, that, those files that I had before Titania came on. And it was so staggering. Like, I mean, it just was unbelievable. And each time I would flip a page, I would say to myself, okay, that's got to be the worst thing. And then I would flip the next page and I'd be like, well, shit, that wasn't the worst thing. Okay. Um, and I mean, there was a WTF moment for us. I think in the two years plus that we've worked on this, there's not a day that there isn't a WTF moment in the involvement. No. It's crazy. You're right. So we added a team of, of nurses. We then brought on a couple of psychology um, people mm-hmm. as well, you know, and put them together with, with Titania. And we just started going through. And then she began, one of her big things was wanting to give Gypsy a comprehensive look at what actually happened to her. Because Gypsy doesn't even know. Fancy has been talking to Gypsy, and she's still in prison, obviously. But she says that she doesn't even know all the stuff that has happened to her. And I believe it. I mean, it's basically going through childhood trauma every day of your life. You know, you know what I'm saying? It is, especially when, you know, you're you're forced into these situations that as a child is way beyond your level of comprehension. You know, you're just doing what your mom tells you. And, you know, it's sad. And then there's times where we read the, in the files where, like it says something like the results are negative, you know, there's nothing found, da 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 and then the next page you flip over, it's literally them doing a surgery and you're like, Wait a minute, what I don't wow. know exactly. When I look through these records or when I'm when I'm thinking about when the doctor is so confusing in his records, my mind I can see Dee Dee or I can hear Dee Dee confusing this doctor. You know, he's he's having a WTF moment while he's standing there listening to her. You know, every time she goes to a doctor, let's say she's she's seeing a sleep specialist, everything in the family medical history has to do with a sleep study or has to do with apnea or has to do with respiratory. She was a very intelligent person. She read books. She knew what she was talking about, and she could talk a physician through anything, and they believed her. When the police, and she'll say this, when the police actually went through the house, they found books on all these medical, like obscure medical conditions. I mean, who would have books like these in their home? You know, she was actually, 
she said that Dee Dee Rose was in the medical field at one point. She actually would research all these obscure things, these hard to read textbooks about medical diseases and conditions. And I think it's also interesting that like whatever doctor they were going to, that's the medical history that they are choosing to elaborate and share. Like they're not just saying like, oh, my, you know, dad had a stroke at this age. So-and-so had this. Oh no! They're going to a cardiologist. This person had a heart problem. This person had a heart problem. This yeah, part, like that's a good everything point. was very tailored to the type of doctor that they were yeah. seeing. And it, and I would imagine that because she had all this research and um, medical journals and and books and stuff, that she was probably harnessing in on conditions that are either hard to you know, disprove. Yeah, when, when they did the walk through the house, they found all kinds of books like, um, like I'm trying to think of something, like leukemia for dummies and, uh, you know, muscular dystrophy for dummies and, and all these different things. So, like, she would do that. But she also had her own medical training. She went to school to be a medical assistant, and and mm-hmm. she failed out of that. But she did work in a hospital at one point in time, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so she did have a fair knowledge of medical background already. Right. And then, you know, she obviously, I mean, in the early years, yeah, books and everything. But, I mean, once the Internet came about, I mean, you can research anything, you know, and walk in right. there. And, and yeah. she was knowledgeable enough to go in there and say, you know, whatever. And she, she knew exactly what to do all say. kinds of crazy stuff. So that's common with Montauban by proxy too, and that they do that they do the doctor hopping, um, and it's doctor shopping. You know, basically, anytime she didn't get something, and she was requesting all the records. So every time she'd go visit the physician, she would request that record, and if it came back, the record said anything that she didn't like, she just wouldn't go back. There was one point in time where people have asked us, "Well, why did Gypsy just stand up in a doctor's office?" She did. She did. It's in the file. She did stand up, and Dee Dee got very angry. She freaked out. She left immediately, and that's the last we see of that doctor. (laughs) You know, um, same thing with the doctor who actually put the Munchausen by proxy in the file and said, I think this is a – it started off with the first visit he did with her. Um, It said, I think this mother is not a good historian. Um, So then he did some checking, you know, he called around, he did some checking. It came back that muscular dystrophy, you know, results were actually um, negative. Yeah, so she was talking about the muscular, the biopsy. Remember, Gypsy was in a wheelchair. She couldn't walk, but she could, but she couldn't. So they did the biopsy and was like, your legs are fine. You know, she was still building muscle in her legs. And if you, if you're paralyzed, you don't build muscle in your legs. They're right. just, you know what I'm saying? Because she would get up and walk around. Yeah, she would get up and walk around. So th- I think that's when she was talking about it. That was the first time they started really putting two and two together. Um, when they did the biopsy, he called Louisiana and he finally tracked down, you know, because she had told everyone that the records were, were lost. They weren't lost. Um, yeah. I actually checked with Children's Hospital where she did a majority of her stuff, and they said that the damage was minimal. No records were lost, nothing. Um, But she had put a hold on them so that even if a doctor tried to request them, they wouldn't come back. And then on top of that, she was using all the different birth dates, different Mm -hmm. spellings of names. So especially when you're going into a digital age, and it was early in the digital age when she was in Springfield. So, you know, well, while a digital helps with a lot, not when you have something like this going on, because when if you think about it, let's say you put in, you know, 727-1991 Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Well, that would come back with just 1991. If you, if that person tells, if, if she told somebody it was 1995 
and that was what they were looking for. So now they're looking for 727-1995. Um, it's not going to come back with the files that, that are attached to the birth date of 727-1991 because it doesn't match, and the computer has no idea. Now, a person might walk to a file cabinet, open it up, look at it, and go, ha, huh, that's interesting. We've got a Gypsy Rose Blanchard, 727-95, okay, and now there's one that says 727-91. Hmm, that's interesting. Let's pull both of those, but not a computer. So, you know, she was very, very crafty. Yeah, this case even confused me when I was researching it for the first time because she's so, I mean, she, like she was saying, she was using, she would be Blanchard, you know, without an E and then Blanchard with an E, and that would confuse the computers because they couldn't find, like she was doing all these little tricks yeah. with the birth dates and stuff like that. Plus anyone, if you mention Katrina about anything and losing yeah, files, yeah. anyone's going to believe it Which too. is really interesting. Like these guys obviously... They're producing this um, miniseries. Man, they have put in a shit ton of work. They're contacting the hospitals. You know, I wouldn't even think about doing that. I don't even yeah. think the detectives did, to be honest. Like, these yeah. guys are, are right on it. Uh, even on the power of attorney, it, it's, there's three different birth dates on the supposed power of attorney that, um, from what we can tell, was never filed with the court system nor... Um, when I called and tried to verify with the um, lawyer's office whether or not they had a person by the name that's on it, they did not. And it has a notary stamp on it, but they don't have that person as a notary and never have. So it's wow. very interesting. But it, it changes. I just found out the other day. Like, I was looking through and finding those because I was getting ready to put them out. I'd seen them before, you know, but I didn't hadn't printed all of them out. And I was like, why is this changing over and over again? Why is it four pages? Now it's seven pages. Now it's five pages. And then I was beginning to look, and I was seeing the differences in what was going on. It was like same same Social Security number, same name, different birth date. Like on the power yeah. of attorney. Boy. And I don't, I don't even believe she actually had a power of attorney. Like that was just something she mm-hmm. used to tell Gypsy, well, I can will do whatever I want to do. So obviously the Fancy and Titania had relationships with um, Gypsy's uh, family, especially Dee Dee and Dee Dee's family. Um, but I wanted to ask a million-dollar question. Was Gypsy um, in conversations with them, and did she provide them any information? I, I spoke with Gypsy. Oh, let's see. You know, I did a probably a year, year and a half where I was in contact with her quite a bit. Uh, the last six months or so has not been as as amicable with Gypsy. Uh, just, just I don't know. It's just been she's she's trying to sow her oats, and basically, you know, she wants to live her life. And um, we have been concerned about several things that that she's done, and and it's showing a pattern of behavior. And I think it's just been kind of a a less of a of a connection between all of us as we began to uncover more truth, I think, um, and more evidence. Then you know things started to break away there. Um, but we have talked. Mm-hmm. I talked with her a lot. We, we'd like to help her. You know, she needs a lot of help. And uh, and I think some of the times that's been part of the problem is is you know I'm a mom and I just say what I'm going to say as a mom. You know, and I feel very protective of her in a way. You know, I would say the same thing to my own children. And so, right. you know, there's been some differences of, of opinions in that realm. Um, but it's all been out of a place of love and concern for Gypsy, you know. Wow. And she's not used to that. I mean, she's not used to that except for in a very, I mean, what she thought was a positive way, but it obviously has learned that it was a very negative, negative impact from her mom. And one of the things that um, Titania and I were discussing the other night that we hadn't even touched on or thought about was like, you know, um, Gypsy was only shaped by one person, literally. Yeah. 
Um, right. She had no other outside relationships with anyone, you know, um, very limited relationships with, like, Aaliyah. And, you know, in her interrogation video, you know, she called Aaliyah a bully. Um, and even though she says that's one of her closest friends, you know, I, and I'm sure that was from her mom. I'm sure that was put into her head from her mom. And But she had no contact. Like, like uh, several of us on the team, we have a research team, you know, and on our creative team, several of us grew up in abusive relationships, myself included. Um, but one of the things that we talked about before was that sh- we all had due dates like we knew when we could leave you know we we had outside influences we went out into the world we went to school we knew that that, I mean I literally had a calendar that I was checking the days you know I will be 18 and I will leave you know um the day that I graduated high school I wasn't even 18 yet I was graduated at 17 but I I left I my mom threw me a beautiful um graduation party and I I left the next day, and my mom was like, where are you going? I'm like, I can't live here anymore. I love you, but I can't. I just can't do this with you anymore. And I had a great relationship with my mom afterwards, but it was terrible growing up. And that was one of the things, like, Tipsy didn't have that. She had no dates. She had no idea who she, how old she was, when she could leave, if she could leave. There was a power of attorney. She was scared to death. Like, it's so she didn't have that, and she was literally – I mean, her mom basically designed her own murderer by right. only being the only influence – in Gypsy's life. I think that's a really interesting point, too, because because she was literally one of the only people that Gypsy was exposed to, with the exception of the doctors, you know, she had no other outlet for her emotions or feelings. Everything was because of what Dee Dee did, you know? Yes, yeah, it's, it's crazy because what she said really summed it up. Like, and I just said, really hit me when she said she designed her own murderer. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, she was talking about, and in the episode, I, I went down this road, too, where she had that power of attorney. Power of attorney doesn't mean you control someone. But to Gypsy Rose, who has spent her whole life in the house with her mother lying to her about everything, she probably thinks the power of attorney, like, she's stuck. Yeah. Like a power attorney is like if I deploy overseas, you can sell the boat or whatever. That's like what a power attorney does. It's not like I control you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. But to poor Gypsy Rose, she thought it was like, you know, the chain around yeah. her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's crazy because her mom would be like, you can't leave. I have power of attorney over you. I, it's not like Gypsy would know any better. I feel so bad for her, man. Like, I'm sorry. I'm a softie, but shit. Her dad calls her. On her 18th birthday, and the mom says, "Don't tell her she's 18." It's like the dad's oh, like, yeah, "What I the remember fuck?" That now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't tell her she's 18. Why? Well, now we all know that it's because if she's 18, if she starts getting older and older and older, this whole house of lies that Dee Dee Blanchard has built, getting all this money from charities, you know, that gets threatened. It had to end eventually. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what her plan was. It, there's no yeah. way she could have kept this going. You know what? Honestly, my opinion is she would have ended up killing Gypsy because she knew that she couldn't keep this lie going. And, I mean, she'll go to jail for the rest of her life if they she found people found That's out she was frauding charities. theory there. So she might have just killed Gypsy when she was, like, 19. Or made it so that she truly was incapacitated in some way. So this whole time that they're they're chatting, I got felt very pro gypsy. Um 
I know that's very t- Team John um, in this case. So team I was wonder- John. So I was wondering if they had felt like the murder was maybe justified in some way or if it was more of a self-defense in their opinion. Um, I mean, I don't know if it quality. It could definitely take on if she had done it herself. Yes, absolutely. I think that there would have been a case for self-defense. The fact that she involved Nicholas and they planned this murder for a year plus, you know, that's where the, the concern changes, you know, and I think that I just really don't believe that either one of them, Nicholas or Gypsy, um, because we've looked into a lot of things about Nick, too, you know, had Mm -hmm. a real basis for reality. Neither one of them had a big social presence with anybody. Um, They both lived very sheltered, you know, lives that revolved around him for, like, video games and, and, like, music and and stuff like that, and her based in, like, Disney movies and Comic-Con, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just really feel like there wasn't a basis for reality. So, well, yeah, I kind of think self-defense plays in, but then again, you know, it wasn't – once we saw the interrogation video, I'll be honest, that changed – it changed all of, it changed the team's opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you'd asked me this before seeing that, after, yeah. after two years of asking for it, I asked for it for two years. Finally got it and I was shocked. I cried for hours. Then I called Titania and I said, have you seen it yet? And she said, no. And I said, you need to watch it and call me back. Um, I called Christy. I said, have you seen it yet? Because, you know, I'm emailing it to everybody on the team. And she was like, no, I'm going to go look at it. And I said, okay, you need to call me back. And when everybody, every time everybody called me back, the answer was, Oh my gosh, I, I, that's not at all what we thought we were going to see because we really thought that there was going to be, you know, her talking about her mom abusing her. And we thought that, you know, it would be, I always wanted to know when the final point was that she finally would like, you know, break and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And sadly, that never happened. She, you know, first was, you know, where she tried to, you know, play it off as like she didn't know. And she went through everything like, oh, was it a heart attack? Oh, did my mom, you know, did my mom, she has problems with diabetes. Was it diabetes? Oh, did my mom commit suicide because I left? You know, and that was like, that went on for a long time until he finally got to a point where he's like, all right, I know that you're lying and this needs to stop. And then it immediately transferred from that to basically throwing Nicholas under a bus. I mean, as far as she could throw a person under a bus, and then she basically backed it up and ran him over. It's interesting. She said the first thing she does is throw Nicholas under the bus. So it kind of takes you a little bit off Team John a little bit, you know. But still, man, you got to sympathize with this girl, man. She is, you know, in survival mode right now. Well, I don't know. No, I think that's the point, opposite point of what they're trying to make here is that oh, really? she was – like this could have been very easily been seen as more of like a self-defense thing if she was talking about how abusive her mom was. But instead she's like, oh, did my mom die of a heart attack? Did she die of diabetes? Did she die of this? And she's she has this opportunity and yet she continues to lie about it, mm-hmm. which doesn't help her. You know, it's kind of messed up to say, but I wonder if her lying constantly is a learned behavior from her mother, which was also lying Very constantly. Possible. Very possible. You know, and never once did it really come down to her really telling the truth. And then there was an additional, you know, he walked out, he got her to, you know, say that Nick had murdered her mom and got through all of that and everything. And then there was an additional six minutes on the end of that where he comes back and he tells her, we've talked to Nick and we know you're lying about your involvement. And she's still, nope, nope. 
nope. And then she, he mm-hmm. walked out. He said, I'm done here. And then she finally says, well, I want a lawyer. That wow. was devastating for the team because we had always expected at some point in time that she would have said, my mom has been, you know, she's, abusive. she's very, she's yeah. abusive. She's done this. Because even if she didn't know what um, medically she had been through, she knew she could walk. She knew that she didn't need the feeding tube. She has made claims that her mom had abused her physically outside of me- medical, you know, and I'm not doubting any of those things at all, at all. Um, but, I, it was for me very eye-opening that this wasn't about a girl that had been shoved in a wheelchair for 23 years and her wanting to get up out of the chair. It was about a boy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it was about a boy. And, and that's kind of one of the things that we've had problems with. Like I said, there was patterns of behavior. That's the same behavior we're seeing now with, um, the on again, off again fiance that we're, that is involved. And she got very angry when anybody expressed concern for her about her relationship, that this is a guy that's writing you. He, You've never met him before. I mean, he comes and visits you. Yeah, but anybody can be anyone for a weekend. And uh, so when we were on the subject of Nick Go to John, I recalled a couple of email exchanges that we were going back and forth about um, some interesting things about him specifically that were uh, exclusive. We've had a hard time um, connecting with Nick. Um, his family, his mother is not in the picture anymore. His dad is, well, he's his own, he's his own entity. Let me just say that. Um, you know, he's his own oddity and he's, he's not, he's not extremely, like, he's kind of reclusive himself and he's got his own odd behaviors. And I tried to reach out to him early on when I reached out to Christy at the same time and he came back asking for, like, a lot of money. And I was like, uh, dude, that's not happening, you know. So he kind of blocked us, and then we were going, you know, different things that we went into, like the Facebook groups and stuff, and we had some words with different people who are really, really, really pro-Nick, and I am not, I'm not not pro-Nick, but I am not pro-Nick getting out of prison and being in society. Like, I just don't think that any way you look at it, I think that, you know, whether you think, whether you think he's a manipulated autistic kid who didn't know what he was doing and he killed her. Um, okay, well, then what's to stop him from coming out and being manipulated by someone else to kill more people? I don't know. Uh, or you look at him like I, I kind of see this sociopathic, you know, person that um, he's very dark. He talks about wanting to kill for a long time. He just did that on the Oxygen Channel, you know, where he did his interview with them. And he said, you know, it was a, it was a piece of me that I'd always had and wanted to do. And um, I had been thinking about it a long time. And when I got the chance, I didn't waste any time. Like, so, I mean, if you think of it that way, either way, that person should not be out in society. And eventually, one of the people that was running one of these groups came to me. She was very scared. She was um, she was claiming to be an ex-girlfriend of his um, through the time while he's been in prison, um, not through before. She did not know him until she didn't even follow the, the case. She didn't follow, like, the act or any of that. She saw basically his sentencing where he was able to finally say something back to the judge, and he asked for mercy, and he basically – said this is all about love and she saw that and the fact of the matter was is that she was kind of a girl from a checkered past and she felt like she connected to him in some way and maybe she could have helped him so she began becoming a pen pal pen pal turned into more than pen pal and then um she got very scared 
and he his I've read the emails. There's hundreds of them. Um, he would call her nine and ten times a day. You know, sometimes three and four times a day. And if she didn't answer, he'd get very angry with her. Um, so she came to us because she got an anonymous threat, and it scared the hell out of her. And she knew we were investigating things, and so she came and asked for our help. Wow. And so then, so then we kind of worked with her, um, and she started providing us the emails. And she's like, he's a sociopath, and I want to show the world what he's really like. And I began reading these emails. I was shocked. I've never seen – I watched True Crime avidly. I've never seen something so shocking in words. Like, they were, it was just terrible. Um, and we've released a couple of those on our site. We will release more um, in the future. But, um, and sadly, the, the sad thing of this is, is that recently um, she has, she's left the project and she has gone back to, now she's apologizing to him and um, she's saying, she's now saying that he wasn't abusive, even though if you, anybody who reads the emails knows that she was clearly, clearly brainwashed and abused by this guy, you know, it's scary, scary, scary. Um, And I mean, like even on her Instagram, it still says, oh, well, he he wanted a Manson-like following and I'm going to expose him. And then she shows another thing where she's being bullied for being, you know, for speaking out. But now she's, publicly saying, you know, I'm, I'm apologizing to him and I was abused. And so she's a very confused poor girl. I, I mean, I feel super bad for her, but it's sad. But these, these messages, I mean, he talks about killing again. He talks about raping. Oh, wow. He talks about how she has to be okay with being raped if he gets out because if oh he doesn't God. rape her, then he'll go rape other people. And some oh of the people don't know about the incident at McDonald's. Was that was what he was watching was rape yeah. porn? Yeah, he was watching rape porn for nine hours at McDonald's. And that one, the what the yeah, one when he was at McDonald's, about? yeah, it's nine one, hours of rape porn. Oh my gosh, that that we didn't know. And yeah, we didn't know it was rape porn. That's yeah. all of this type of behavior, which is very different from how the act portrays him, where he's got like this one persona that's maybe a little bit darker, but it shows like in that show, he's very heavily influenced by Gypsy. Whereas here you kind of see a little bit more that his dark side is taking much more control, has very serious tendencies um, and this kind of murder may not be a one-time desire of his. He was watching rape porn, and in the in the in the actual report, which nobody had seen before, we just recently got it. He was saying he made the statement that he was watching the rape porn, so he didn't rape. Like that's oh not a guy God. who needs to be out in society, folks. Like yeah. I'm sorry, you know. That's but in crazy. the same sense, like I just sent him another letter um, recently, and I basically said to him, "Look, I don't. I'm not going to be your friend. Like that's not that's not going to happen. But I don't have to be your friend to tell your story. But all I know about you is really bad things. Like the evidence mm-hmm. in the case is bad. The emails that I've seen that you've written is bad. The case at McDonald's is super bad. You know, um, the interactions that I, I've seen people have with you outside of just this one girl. He's not. The, that's not the only emails we have. We have other people that have come forward and shown us their emails. We have other girlfriends from previous relationships before Gypsy that have come forward and talked to us and said it was very toxic, you know, and he did all these different things. And, and from that world, you know, so I said, everything I have about you, Nicholas, is bad. Um, so if there's anything about you, you know, that you want to share with us, We'd really like that because the one thing we wanted to show is a comprehensive thing. You know, I want to know what he was like before he met Gypsy. And that's, I, but I just feel like, I, like I said, they've both been so failed and I want to understand 
what caused that because this killing was super, super violent. And for mm-hmm. a guy who's just going in to, like, protect his love, you wouldn't see 17, 17 stabs. crazy stabs and almost severing her head because yeah. I even – found out about the severing of the head, I talked with um, an expert in that area, and they were talking about the fact that that was the knife that he had. It's not a knife that he could have sliced and gone all the way through, like like a big, you know, like a machete or something like that. It was a small knife. And for him to get in that far to almost sever the um, spinal cord and everything, that would have been sawing on one side. Then he had to go and saw on the other side. That's crazy. He had a saw on one side and then a saw on the other. Remember, he actually sent that. Now, this makes more sense because she's displaying the story as this guy is a fucking maniac. And when I displayed it, it was, oh, he did this for love because I didn't know all the details like we do now. But it makes sense of why they sent the knife through the mail back to Nicholas's house. Remember? And the police intercepted the package and they found the murder weapon because he literally mailed it to his other house. Right. That makes sense now because he wanted the souvenir. You know, if he's that, if he, if he's always wanted to murder, you know, why not keep the murder weapon? Hmm, Maybe. You know, I, at the time I was wondering, I was like, why the shit did they do that? Were they trying they to hide it? Ri- well, I thought they wanted to get rid of the murder. They wanted to hide it. Yeah, you get rid of it by throwing it in a drain. You don't get rid of it by sending it to yourself through the mail. But now it makes sense because if you want to keep it for memory's sake, you you would send it through the mail. Does that make sense? That clears it up for me. Because when I was doing the episode, I was like, why the shit do these people send it down through the UPS? Well, I could just say, like, they're really fucking stupid. I don't know. I mean, I think it felt like you have to be smarter to send something in the mail than to just Uh, throw it in the freaking drain. No, I think... (laughs) I think they were worried that somebody would find it. No, but gonna, I, that's like, not They what, were going to mail it and keep it safe somewhere. But not know. if he is always wanting to kill. If you always wanted to kill, you're going to want to keep that knife. It, yeah, that know, makes sense. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like all these serial killers, they all get caught because they keep some momentum. You know what I'm saying? Momento. You know? Like they'll find a necklace or a pendant or something. That is really, really vicious and violent. And that's not... I'm coming here to protect the love of my life. That was, I really got into it. It's a thrill kill. And I worry what Gypsy would have been subjected to had she ended up, you know, because if she went with, she went with them and all honesty, if they had never been caught, she could have never surfaced anywhere ever again. So Hmm. what would he have got her into? You know, what would she have been subjected to, by being there because we've already heard, you know, the different things that he likes to do. And so then would it have been like, would he have involved her in killing other people? Cause he was very excited and enjoyed it. Um, you know, so I don't know, like, it's very scary to think what would have happened had she not mm-hmm. done that Facebook message and gotten caught. The severing of the head is not something that I knew about before. Yeah. It's been a while since we've talked about this case, yeah. but I don't think we, well, the um, police, the police reports weren't mentioned. So I, in the episode, I said it was four or five stab wounds. Remember, because I said mm-hmm. he sometimes he stabbed so deep that he heard the knife hit the bone. Mm-hmm. I, I was saying that in the yes, episode. And yes. the only where I pulled that information from was the interrogation video 
the very short, not complete interrogation video of Nicholas go to John. Okay, so like she's actually got the police autopsy reports and all that stuff, which weren't available when we did the episode. So now we see that there were 17 plus stab wounds and he almost cut her head off. When he talks about, you know, Victor or his other personalities, if he's trying to use that as, you know, maybe trying to make people think that he might have something such as dissociative identity disorder, which is also commonly known as multiple personality disorder, you don't know about your other alters. Like, Oh, and we did talk about that in the Talos thingy. Right, but it's not... You know, you don't, you don't, you don't you're not aware. It. You dissociate. They, they, just, they just take over. Right. It's called dissociative identity disorder for a reason. It's because uh, you you have no idea. It's like, interesting. yeah. Okay. So he very well likely did not have that then if he was referencing them. Right. Hmm. So there were um, rumors and statements that Gypsy Rose was going to sue the makers of the act for some of the exaggerations of that story so we wanted to ask about um how that impacted them and the story that they're trying to get out we did try to reach out at one point before it started to explain to um the other people on the team besides michelle dean that that maybe they didn't have all the information they thought they had you know because she had kind of gotten cut off really early on there was a falling out with the family really really early and so she didn't have all the information that she you know, really kind of portrayed herself as having. And based on what the act showed, I can say that a lot of research was not done and it was very rushed. I think that was an effort to beat everyone to the punch and get it out there mm. instead of really taking the time like like we have to do a lot of research. I did a whole series in Tut in the In Touch articles um, where each week that the act produced something I did, like a debunking of what was not true and what was true. And I mean, it wasn't to like be mean or hateful, but I just wanted to make sure that the, in this case specifically. So I asked Fancy and Titania about the episode structure for their new show. Right now we're sitting at 13 and possibly a second season that focuses more on on Nicholas, if we can put it all together. Originally, we were going to kind of go through what caused Dawn to fall in love with um, a murderer, but I think we've kind of moved away from that just a tad. Well, I know I can't wait for that show to come out, so I will be staying very closely tuned and following on the By Proxy Facebook page to see when the show's coming out. Uh, In the meantime, though, uh, Fancy is going to be doing a podcast called The Good Wives Guide to True Crime, Uh, so be sure to check them out on social media for when that podcast is going to be released. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on our social media pages by going to Facebook and Instagram, and you can uh, stay in touch with us in all the cases that we're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this very special interview with Fancy and Titania. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for spending your time with us, and we look forward to working with you in the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you really like this episode, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our stalker, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talko Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker, swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it and I will dedicate it to you on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. And good night, you lovely people. P.S. Savannah from Charlotte, I got your email. The Gacy episode will be out next Tuesday. <laughs>